I love Dundonley, so do um, special, there's a lot of special people in here who have helped my, me and my family in many ways that you wouldn't even know about. Um, but one of the best things ever done for me was my mom died six years ago tomorrow. Um, and we buried my mom from here. And so that's one of the reasons I come up here to sit just sometimes and remember where we buried my mom from. And it was an amazing day. This place was absolutely chucker-blocked. There must have been 600 people in here and it was great. And my mom's wee dog was even in the place, wee Tula. But um, I got to share about my mum. I got the chance to speak about the, my mum and how, how she showed love and showed God's love. And I believe my mum's with the Lord now. Um, but um, I was also able to go on and share about how she sacrificed her life for, for my family, um, for my sisters and my brothers. And she was an amazing wee woman. She was about that size. And she was powerful. And, and I thank God for thank God for her. But I was also able to share in the funeral about another man who sacrificed his life for us as well, and that was Jesus Christ. Um, and it was great to be able to share the gospel at that level. And I'm here to glorify God. I know they said there I'm famous, but apparently I was introduced as Tommy this morning. I'm not famous. <laughs> but I'm actually Bobby, so Tommy the famous one is away. The big tall fella, because I'm certainly not bigger than, than uh, Malcolm, so I'm not. Um, but I've just got, I've, I have got nothing, right, other than, than, than Jesus. That's all I've got. Um, that's what I'm going to show you tonight. If, if I get lost in this story somewhere, don't, don't be missing the fact that Jesus saved me and that's the only thing that matters to me and, and that's the only thing that matters to me to tell you that Jesus wants to save you as well and, and, and do, you, uh, do a thing, a work in your life. Now, I'm going to turn these notes out here, but the notes make, make go out the window, um, but I'm, prefer, I'm prepared for it as, at the minute, you know. Um, Say so I said about my mom, how she sacrificed her life, and I don't know who's in here, I don't know why you're all saved or why you're not saved, but, but um, we believe that this is the Word of God. And in this Word of God, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Um, it says that, that uh, um, the, first, the first, I'll read this out for you, this first, you may have to get a, Alana Michael's uh, glasses. Um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, right? It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. So God took the, the dust of the earth and he breathed into it and he made, it, he made it a man alive. Um, and scientists talk about the, the elements of a body can all be found in the earth. And so that's amazing, like scientists tell you that. So it's true. And I think even today, um, God can still take people who feel like dirt and breathe life back into them. You know what I mean? And it, it may be your fault you feel like dirt. It may be your fault you feel like dirt. Um, but I'm going to try and tell you my story, how I found Jesus and how I found freedom and, and mercy and grace in him. Um, so I, I grew up in Belfast. I was born in, in East Belfast, God's country. Do you know what I mean? God's country. Um, but they threw us out when I was one, you know. Moved us now. We moved to Highfield over in um, up the top of the Shankle, Highfield Drive. We lived in, um, and so we, I lived there from the ages of one to ten. And the things that I remember up there was I went to Sunday school, right, um, singing singing me songs in, in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, yes I know, because the Bible tells me so. But running over, running over, my cup's full of running. But since the Lord saved me, I'm as happy as can be. All of these songs, and one of the biggest songs I remember was "Down in the Dumps." You shall not go. That's where the devil keeps you low. I'll sing with all my might as I say my armor right down in the dumps. You shall not go. And why I remember that was behind, behind our church, that church, it was a Baptist church in Balkanmount Road, was Woodville Park, and it was called the dumps. And I lived in there. And they were singing, down in the dumps, you shall not go. I was like, 
they're on the meal ready here. Um, and so, so I remember Sunday school because Sunday school was where you went for trips and got away and got everything. Do you know what I mean? Everything was in there. And so that's where we went. And I thank God for people that say in the Bible, train up a child in the ways he must go. And even when he's old, he'll not depart. And so I thank God for Sunday school teachers who were putting seeds in and put seeds in and put seeds in. But as they were putting seeds in, the world was sitting, sitting offering um, the world. Do you know what I mean? And there's a, there's a, a verse in the Bible um, where it says, and, and it was about Cain and Abel, and, and Cain was telling God to keep himself right, and, and he wouldn't. Um, but he said to him, if he didn't do what was right, it said, sin's crouching at the door, waiting to get you. Do you know what I mean? And it says in the next part of it, it says something like, um, but you have to fight against it. So that shows you there's a battle. From no age, people are trying to teach you good in the church, like Sunday school teachers and BB officers and school teachers and our day was all, all the concerts at school were David and Goliath and all, all, the, all the stories in the Bible. Um, but nowadays it's been taken out. And so there's a battle for us to learn our children about God and about his ways. And so the battle's on. And so you see the way it is. And, and so I, I'm only looking back and seeing that, that the world was offering sin and I started going that way. And, and the church who was trying to help me was, wasn't, couldn't get me. Do you know what I mean? And so... But when the age is about 10, 1969, 70, in, in, in Highfield, the troubles kicked in. And so the troubles kicked in on all hell broke loose in Northern Ireland. And as I say to people, I didn't start the troubles. Um, I just grew up on it. Um, and so Matt, it was battling in our, our streets. So UDA, we were marching up and down the streets. We were fighting with the army. They started shooting across the Bally Murphy. And, and Catholics were getting burned out of our estates. And Protestants were getting burned out of theirs. It was, all, it was all a mess. Um, one of the things I remember, Grand de Grey lived two doors down from us. He got shot dead by the IRA. And so we got brought up in a, in a place where, in my opinion, it wasn't, up, it wasn't normal. It wasn't normal. It was awful. Um, and, but I didn't think that. No, I was just running about like a header, just getting involved in ratting with people I used to run with in Bally Murphy and, and, and just getting up there, everything. I was up there, everything from the age. And don't want to go into all the details of that, but from a very young age, can't even talk about it. But... Um, so I grew up, I grew up in Highfield. Um, my mom wanted to take us away from the trouble because it was getting so bad. And so she moved us back to God's country in Dundown. Um, and so we lived in Dundown then from about 10, um, about 10, for 10 years, 10 to 20, I grew up in Dundown, started learning about bonfires, joining flute bonds, being a prod. You know what I mean? Be a prod. That's how we were all learned. Um, didn't understand what a prod was, but I was a prod. You know what I mean? Played in a bond. Right, it clacked for a bonfire, but it meant, it meant nothing to me. It was just a time of, you were just doing that. And so, grew up like that, and our family's all footballers. And so, we played for Glen Torn for 100 years, our family. And, um, and so, I was a footballer too, and as I grew up, I was playing with the school team in Down. Um, our wee team won everything, won everything. Every, last year, we won the whole lot, everything. Um, won one of the cup finals, 9-1, and it was, it was a mad time, but... Um, it was good, and, and so they were talking about me going to this club and that club across the water, and I ended up doing the worst thing in our family, I signed for the Blues, them feet. Um, and so they're going to lynch me. Um, but playing for Limfield, <laughs> playing for Limfield at 16, got a wee bit unsettled. I was playing for the Swifts, um, got a bit unsettled because I couldn't get on the first team, 16, do you know what I mean? My kids played football now at 16, 18, and I must have been a complete muppet. And then when I think back and look at myself, um, but... Roy Coyle actually signed me, so he did, and he gave me a few quid to sign. And then when I told him I was leaving, when I was six, but 17, I said I was leaving, I was going to leave the club. 
um, and he gave me 200 pound to come back. Come back for a week and then I went again. Got my 200 quid, you know, into the pocket, way down the road. But troubles were still kicked on then. Um, the, the hunger strikes were wrong. It probably been about 1980. Um, and what happened was... Um, I, I, I left, I, left, I wanted to leave Linfield to go to Glen Torn. They wouldn't release me, right, because I took my 200 quid. Um, and so I had to wait to get a transfer to Glen's. And while I was waiting, a team in East Belfast asked me the same for them. And they were the Con Club. I know you know the Con Club. But the Con Club's a, a bar club. And, and so my cousin ran the team and he asked me to join him. I said no at first and then I ended up joining him and uh, started playing football for the Con Club and started drinking with all these boys and fighting in the bars. And I love to now fight. Like I was a boxer and so I love to fight. You know, we know him tiny. Um, but if a fight happened, I was into it. So I sort of I fitted into that world like a glove. That, that world, um, it wasn't as if it was a dark to me. It was like attractive. I like this. All the boys were all headers and were drunk, partied at the weekends, had a odd fight. It was all like no harm in it. We're all running about. And that's the way it appeared. But I didn't realise it was a dark place that I was heading into. And people tried to tell me not to go there. And I, I, just, I just took it upon myself to go. And I wouldn't stop. And so the problem with this was the troubles were on still. It was mad in Northern Ireland. And all these boys were in the paramilitaries. And so age 18... Um, I got swore in the, the UVF in East Belfast um, to fight for Ulster. That's what we're talking about, you know, fighting for Ulster. A um, load of rubbish. Our motto was even for God in Ulster, which was a load of rubbish, and it was bis- being misused. But at the time, I thought, the, the talk was the IRA were destroying our country. We had politicians saying that, and everybody was saying it. And I, I believed that, because the IRA were destroying our country. And so part of me was believing that, you know? And so... I was 18, by 20 years of age, me and all my friends got arrested, um, and seven of us got put into the Crumlin Road Jail um, on remand for every kind of charge you can think of, including murders, um, and so we'd been up to everything, and, and we're only kids, and, and that's not an excuse, I'm just telling you the truth, um, but 20 years of age, we all got put into the Crumlin Road Jail um, in remand, we spent two and a half years in the Crumlin Road Jail on remand just waiting to be char- sentenced. Um, but what happened, one of the things I remember in the crumb, fights again, every time you get out of your wing, you were fighting, and I'm not trying to make this, I'm just telling you what it was like. So you fought all the time. And honestly, I, it was nothing to me, I was mental. I mean, just absolutely, I was like that. I was like a sinning machine, if you want, and I'd have done anything, it didn't matter, and, and so a fight was nothing to me. Um, but one of the things I remember about was going to the Free Presbyterian Church, and we went to the Free Presbyterian Church because on Christmas, Big Paisley brought you a box of milk tray in. That's a good reason to go to church. I mean, maybe we start doing this here in church. But, um, so, but the Reverend McElveen um, would, have, would have spoke at it. And he spoke one time about having a relationship with God um, because he believed Jesus died on the cross and he, he, he put it all into his life. And that was his life. He was a Christian man and he believed in that. He says, I've got peace, joy and happiness way beyond your belief. He says, and I wouldn't change it. He says, so I have a wonderful life. He says, at the end of this, this life, he says, if there is no God, he's talking to people who didn't believe in God. If there is no God, he says, I have lost nothing because I have a wonderful life. He says, but if there is a God and you haven't got him, you've lost everything. And again, when you think back, that spoke into my life. Um, but two and a half years in Ramon, 1985, all of us, the sadness, get sentenced to life in prison. And that was sent down to the Mayor's prison. Um, and life was life then. You didn't know what you were getting. Mayor's prison, bonds, drink, everything. Drugs started to come in. If we sort of way run the wings, it was free. Um, so you, they couldn't really stop it. You know what I mean? Um, and so I spent... Um, 
Next, from 20 to 34 in prison. Um, the things I remember in prison, again, um, we all joined the Free Presbyterian Church in, in the maze, right? And the reason because of that was, if you joined the Free Presbyterian Church, they put you in one wing, right? And so all the footballers became free press. They get the football matches in the wing, you know? And so that was the reason we thought we were being fly. But part of that was you had to go to church every week. And so we were hearing the word of God and many people could saved um, in, them, in them services. I didn't, but many people could saved in them wee services because they preached the gospel in their old time. And one of the ones I remember the, the most was Reverend McRae came in. was we thing he came to all this here. And, uh, and he preached, and he preached this. He preached, every time you hear about Jesus being trailed, mocked, beaten, spat on, um, whipped, and then nailed to your cross, and you don't accept him, um, today, then you, you might as well beat him and spit on him and trail him about. And again, it spoke into a lot of our lives. Some people did get saved and I didn't. But again, in prison, I was, I, it was like as if I was blinkered of like madness. Um, I run the bonds, run the football team, and I would have been like a personality in there, more so in there, not now, I'm not famous now, in there I was, uh, but infamous. But, and so people knew me, and, and, and so I was so way, way in the middle of everything. But what happened was, I broke my leg one time and it, and it floored me, um, so I couldn't do nothing. And thank God, I thank God he put me in prison. I thank God I spent all them years in there. Um, but he floored me again and stopped me. And, and what happened was I started thinking. Um, and I believe God put me under conviction. Um, and what he was showing me was my sin, all my sin. And it makes us clear, not just poor military sin, sin from no age. Because um, sometimes it's hard to convict a poor military of sin when they don't believe it's sin. Do you know what I mean? They don't believe they've done wrong. Um, they don't believe, think of fighting for Ireland, fighting for Ulster. Load of absolute rubbish. Um, you can't murder people because you think so. Do you know what I mean? And, and you can't put an Ulster flag over your shoulder and justify it. Um, but this started happening, and I heard the word repent spoke in my ear. I'd never heard of repent before. I was asking people what repent meant. What I believe God was doing was convicting me, um, and I didn't know what God was doing. I didn't know God. Um, but I thought that, that God had judged me and found me guilty and hadn't repented, and my mind started going. And so what happened was I started believing that everybody could see all my sin. Would you like that if everybody could see your sin? I was in a, I was in a place in a wing. I thought everybody could see every single thing I'd done, and tell you what, I wasn't proud of what I'd done, everything. Um, and I thought they could see it. And I got it in my head that everybody was going to try and kill me. Um, and there was like 30 murderers in the wing. Um, so it was a scary place to be. Um, and so what happened was I'd done what I thought I deserved, I, I tried to kill me, um, if that makes sense. I hated me so much, I tried to kill me. And they put me in the psychiatric ward in McGabry. I was in McGabry psychiatric ward for two years. Um, just out of my mind, I thought that, that what had happened was God had judged me. It was done. I was convicted. Um, I didn't repent. All lost my soul, committed the unpardonable sin. All them stuff were commending me. This is something you didn't even know what God was about. And all of a sudden, I went from not believing in God, that there was a God, and he was condemning me, and he was hitting me with everything, and this attack after attack after attack in my mind. I thought every single prisoner, every governor, every prison officer was out to get me. I was paranoid to help. Um, and they, they floored me with med medication. Um, I spoke to people about what, what, what had done wrong, and what had, I've conf I confessed most of the stuff I've ever done. Um, but never got me anywhere. Um, but um, in, in, that, in that psychiatric ward, they medicated me. And so then Christians in the McGabry wing talked me into coming out, got out of there, came into the McGabry wings, and then two years later, I got released. So when I was 20, got out, I was 34, got out in 1986, um, and I was a shell. 
Um, it says in the Bible, there's a thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you abundantly. And I was left completely destroyed. And I didn't want to live. I didn't want to move on. Um, but my family were good. They wrapped the whole blanket of love around me. And thank God for families because I see prisoners getting out now and have no family and it's really bad. But thank God my mom and my dad and my family looked after me and, and wrapped their, their love around me and got me back on my feet. And then I became a joiner again. I was a joiner before I went into prison. And I met my wife. Um, I ended up with five children. Um, I ended up with my own business. And I ended up with big cars and holidays and had loads of money because I worked for it. I, didn't, I left the Parmaldi world. UVF had a big do in East Belfast me, but I didn't let it get. So I was completely medicated. I met, I met my wife like then. I had long ginger hair and a big ginger moustache. Now I look at it. <laughs> I see everyone out me. I don't know. I don't know. But um, I was a mess, so I was. But I got on my feet and started working. And I worked. I always worked. I love working. Um, and I got back on my feet. And I say, I got every single thing that people would want. And I was sorry to people. I'm sorry to people for what I've done. I'm sorry to victims for what I've done. Um, but I just, I just had to keep going. And, and so, but 2008, what happened was all this stuff started coming back again. The Bible says that what should a prophet man have? He gained the whole world and lose his soul. I thought I'd lost my soul and I gained the whole world. Good wife, lovely kids, good job, loads of money, everything the world would want, but I still had no peace and no joy, no happiness, no nothing. I couldn't get peace and joy in anything. I prayed every night that God had turned things around and that we'd change things and that, that, that you can change it. But this power kept, no, no, no. So what happened? 2008, um, mine started going again. Um, remember what happened in prison? I thought every prisoner hated me and everything you think, what's that all about? Well, the same thing started happening again in my house. My, my, my mind started telling me that my wife hated me, that my mom hated me, that my children hated me, that that I was actually infecting my wee children with my evilness, and I was that evil that I'd rather kill everybody, my wee kids and all, with my evilness, than kill myself and give them a chance. So my mom was telling me to take my own life. And you hear about people taking their own life, and you think, oh, it's an it's easy way out. My mom was telling me that if I don't, if I don't take my own life, my children are going to infect it with my evilness, and I didn't want that. I love my kids. Um, and the pastor, David Beckett, he's no David Beckett, came over then. He married me and my wife years before it. I said to him, do you marry people like us? I'm just out of jail and she's a divorcee. He says, I marry no sweat kid. And that was when he didn't know us. And he kept in touch with us all the time. But I sent for him and he came over and he said to me, if you, if you take your own life, your children will never get over it. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, I didn't know where, if I take my own life, they'll never get over it. If I don't take my life, I'm going to infect them. So my head was everywhere. Um, and, and over a period of days, they were going to lock me up again. And what, what happened was one day, I just fell on my knees in the sitting room and, 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 and I cried out to God and I cried out, on the level of this, I'm sorry for the mess I've made of it. I'm sorry that I rejected Jesus. I'm sorry. I kept being sorry and sorry, and I was busted and broken down. And, and, and in the middle of it, I know I was repenting. And what happened was God opened my eyes right in the middle of it. I'm not joking. I got this pouring out right through my whole body, and it was just like right through me. And that was the day. That was the day that I was set free. That was the day that God came into my life. The chains were broke. You hear all these lines that, that you were set free, you were set out of prison. I, I was more of a prisoner out of jail than, than, than I was in jail because um, I was nuts in jail. Out and you was a God and God saved me and I thank God. I thank God he set me free that day and, and he came into my life um, because I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And, and, and from then, from then, at the start, it was a wee bit of a waver at the start because I actually started believing then, was that true? Like, was that all true? You know what I mean? Did that really happen? And then once I, I remember sitting on the bed one time and going to say, Lord, I have to believe it is because I felt it and I know you did. And I stepped up. I started stepping out. And if you remember, I, I, I was sitting in a cell 
at one stage, a special sale in the psychiatric ward, um, doing life, cutting myself, banging my head off walls, um, didn't want to be out of there, I just wanted to be dead. Um, no release date, no, I wasn't worried about that or nothing, uh, and, and it was without hope. And so if you're sitting in a dark place at night, can I show you how God can turn things around? So I, I started telling people about Jesus. How long will Sarah pick up even one note? Um, uh, just I read these few verses out, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's First John 1 8. So if you confess your sin to God, right? I think it helps if you confess it to other people. But I get saved. I made a confession and incarcerated the police on a murder and it never saved me. I confessed things to the psychiatrist, to my family, to everybody, and it never saved me. One day I fell on my knees and I cried out to God and he saved me. So you need to do that. You can, you can please the world all you want, but you need to have that relationship with God and you'll only find it in, in, in Jesus. And, and in prison, when it happened, when God told me to repent, I was sorry, right? But it was because I was caught in the sin. It wasn't because I was sorry for my sin. Um, I know that to be true. Because um, this verse really spoke to me. And, and actually I was here in a few weeks and, and Malcolm mentioned it. Second um, Corinthians 7 and 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. When I saw you in the world, I wanted to be dead. But when I saw to God, I repented and I brought me salvation and freedom. And I have no regrets. I have no regrets of repenting to God. I have no regrets of offending Christ. I have no, no regrets at all. Um, so, so if you can, I think this is the biggest point I have. I was talking to the big monitor coming in, and I said in this, I said that my testimony is not about the troubles or about prisons. My testimony is about the mind and about how, how the mind gets you. Um, and in prison, my mind told me that everybody hated me. And in, in, in the house, told me my wife hated me, right? So you need to know the battle. There's a God, there's a devil, right? And he's trying to confuse us. He says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says he's the father of lies. He says he's roaming about like a land seeking to devour, right? You look about you, he's not running about outside there. He's attacking you here. Right? But the Bible says that we can take every thought captive and bring it on the power of Christ. So you don't have to accept these thoughts coming in as a Christian. Um, it's a battle. Right? Spiritual warfare is not out there fencing people. It's your own head. It's your own head. That's what I believe. I'm dealing with stuff. And I had to start sorting all the stuff out in my own head and get myself right before I go out and try and help anybody else to get right. And so one of the things I've done was that oh, great hunger for the Word of God. And so I started reading and reading and reading and reading. And I found all these different things. And in 2 Corinthians... Or sorry, Corinthians five and seven. Sorry, sorry. We're yeah, but, yep. If any if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Right. So you're a new creation in Christ. And and so I start reading stories about Exodus two. It talks about Moses. Uh, Moses went out and killed the man um, who was fighting in in Egyptian. He killed him, and it says, and he ran away. And then God brought him back forty years later to, to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and bring the law through Moses. He killed the man. I mean, I'm not justifying killing people. It's horrendous and awful, but I'm, not, I'm just showing you that I had to find out myself. Is it biblical for somebody like me to be saved? Because plenty of people think I shouldn't be. You know what I mean? And so Second Samuel reads about King David, who slept with Bathsheba, sent her husband to the front line, got him killed. Killed him on. And God loved David. Loved David. And so it started giving me hope that maybe this God could love me. Um, Second Chron- uh, Chronicles 33 talks about King Manasseh. Um, and it says he's, he, he, he sacrificed his kids to our gods. It says the streets of Jerusalem were flooded by people he killed. 
And God told him to repent, and he wouldn't repent. And he sent the Assyrians against him, and they lifted him, bound him, chained him, put a hook through his nose and trailed him away. And it says, when he was bound and chained and laying on the floor, he humbled himself and he called out to his God. And God took him back, and he put things right, and he changed things, and he made good the, the, the temple. Um, and then Acts 7 talks about Saul on the road to Damascus, who became Paul, who was killing Christians. He was there when he killed Stephen, who was stoned to death, and, and, and he was persecuting the church. Um, and God changed them and turned it around. And and and, and, and Hebrews thirteen eight says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I said, God, if you can do it for them, can you do it for me? Can I step out? Can I be confident? Even though I've done all this awful stuff, can I be confident in Christ? And do you know what he said? Are you sure? <laughs> and I was like, oh, how long? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I did. Like, I, did. I just said, oh, how long? Man, Lord, how long? And so I, I started stepping out for God. And, and, and I'm not going to go into the whole rigmarole of all the different things but I want to read this wee list out just to cover because it'll cover minutes I haven't haven't all night here to speak I would love to speak all night but I joined a church right my church that that married me and my wife Uh, my wife had been saved there one night in a wee meeting put the hand up and got saved and we were out on the drink then and she's telling people she wants to be saved or want to be back at church and this people we're all on a drink with and I'm saying well I can't go to church because I've lost my soul and I can't be saved <laughs> and I was like these are mad these are absolutely mad but when I could see if my wife came back um, within a couple of months a couple of my kids had read out their testimony only very young so I joined, I joined the Elam right and I was in the Alpha class the new converts the worship team the finance team the parent share group the encourages team the youth club in the states um, doing a golf, a golf offense that's where um, Stevie Bell came one time to the golf event and we roped him in to the golf event he won a, he won a prize and the, th- the trick was when you win a prize you have to come to church to get it and he came to church and a few weeks later through the help of others up here and all um, he got saved um, and God's good um, and my job I, I, I give a testimony nearly every day I fit wooden floors and I get the chance to share and we Lindsay and Dawn are here today I met them fitting floors um, years ago um, and the whole family's at the church now so yes. All right, Lindsay. <laughs> oh, well, I don't get it easy, like, but none of us do. Um, but I've spoke to loyalists, Republicans, Muslims, Africans, Rastafarians, rackets, self-harmers, down and outs, and everyone, every kind of offender you can think of. Um, and I've told them all, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Um, I've spoken in churches, schools, estates, youth clubs, prisons, youth, young offenders, football offence, carnivals, coffee shops. Um, I've spoken in a coffee shop one time that brought 50 paramilitaries in it few years back there and, and they said to me would you speak to them because I'll not go to church and he says yes and North Down UVF UDA and Red Hawn came into the building um, they're all big bouncers and bouncing about with tattoos and I'm not the biggest like and I'm like oh, this crew here they're all slobbering and shouting and, um, and so I started saying to them in this lane here that as a loyalist I'm as loyalist as you can come. I've done 14 years in prison for loyalism. Um, all my mates are the same. And so as I, have, I can speak about loyalism. And I says, can I tell you this? Most of my friends that were shot dead and the troubles were shot dead by loyalists. So there. Um, some of my mates who done life for me served 17 years in prison, got out of prison, hung themselves, uh, burned themselves to death. I says, do what loyalism is? Pile of garbage. Not the people. Not the people. I don't run down people. I have mates that are loyalists. Um, but the system... It's, it's destroying us, it's destroying our country, so is Republicanism. Um, but they'll not win, because we have a God who, who's going to do everything and win everything. Um, I've been to places in Glasgow, London, Southampton, Newcastle, Brixton, Bristol, um, not because I'm famous, because I tell people about Jesus. And, and I know God takes me to these places, because if you put me in a room, I don't care where I am, the governor, a prisoner, 
A prison officer, I don't care who you're with, I'll tell him about Jesus. I'll tell him about this amazing saviour we have. How can we not? How can we not? One day, we, a young offenders in Bristol, and, and me and another guy, and they give us five minutes each, and um, six kids came to the end, get saved at the front. Um, and God's amazing. God's amazing. And, and I'm not saying that to my glory. It's God's glory. God's doing everything. I didn't save me. God saved me. God saved me. And, and I struggle, and God knows that. I struggle with my past. But the struggle is outweighed by the want to go out and tell people about Jesus because he saved me. Do you know what I mean? I don't like me, really. So I don't, but I like me in Christ. So do I like me in Christ? And I, have, I stay there. And that's the place I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. Um, I want to be in there. Um, done things like um, worked for Northern Ireland Base Board as a mentor, right? So I had to go through all the, the rigmarole looking in to be a mentor in the Northern Ireland Base Board. Right? I'd done time for murder and done all sorts of charges, right? And do you know why they were going to stop me getting in the probation board? I was too churchy. I was too churchy. So you're right, murder people, like, but don't be in the church, you know? And I said to them, well, why, what if, why would you let me be a mentor to somebody when I can't tell you anything but Jesus saved me? I said, I'm not enough to offer them, only Jesus. Um, and they end up with that me and I end up doing mentoring and it led on to doing different things like done art exhibitions. I used to do painting in prison and done all these fancy paintings and big paintings and all. I've done exhibitions in the, the City Hall and the Crumlin Road and the Waterfront and, but I always get Jesus in the middle of it. The one in the Crumlin Road I got uh, a cross up with a Bible opening on it um, versus up on the road and it was brilliant and sometimes they're coming around the tours and they would say, Bobby, would you tell these boys a bit of your story? Absolutely. I tell them all my testimony. Anybody come in, I got the chance to share. And then this, this led on the uh, Woodlands Juvenile Justice Centre down in Bangor. I started working in there um, and playing football matches. Not working. Getting in with the church on Friday night playing football matches and that led on to them bringing us in the, the pastoral team. And now I'm all, I can walk about the young offenders down there with my own key, buzzing in out of places and walking about. God can do anything. You know what I mean? You can do anything. And, and I got a chance to share at that level to young kids that, that it's awful what's ahead and you can change. And then that opened up a door to work in McGilligan. And so now I go, in, I go into McGilligan every Monday and I go into Young Offenders on a, on a Friday. And McGilligan, it's prisoners' mental health problems and main problems, the same as me. And, and you deal with them different. And the Young Offenders, I talk to kids and say to them, look, I know what's ahead and it's awful and you, you want to change. And McGilligan, I meet people who are 40 and 50 and I say, you need to wise up. Do you know what I mean? And I tell them about Jesus and, and how I do it. And it's amazing. And I use art. I would do brick walls. And the young offenders would put a, a street sign up called Hope Street. And I said to the kids, what's your hopes for the future? And they wrote everything all over it. And I took it over to the church and said, the kids in this wall are under 17. And I says, some of them are like killed people. I says, and some of them are killing, trying to kill themselves every day. We need to pray for them. So they wrote all their bits on it. And so what I was doing was taking the kids into the church and then bringing the church back into the kids. And it was communication and, and just getting Jesus in anywhere I could. And then McGilligan would talk to the prisoners up there. The first, they started up a new class there for me. And the first day I went in and asked them, what do you feel like now? So they all told me what they feel like. And I, I, I'm an or, I've done an art canvas with a street saying, the road, their, their choice, the road to nowhere. And it brought them to, other words were like fear, um, shame, guilt, guilt um, paranoia. It's a nightmare. And I said to them, is that what you want to be? And we're going to make another wall or where we're going to try and get them to. And it's, again, it's just getting Jesus in the middle. And every time I go in and take the painting in me, if I go into the governor's office, I'll talk to them about it in there. Our prison officer will tell him. So you're sharing the gospel at every stage as you go along. And it's amazing. Um, done three things there a couple of years ago. I've done a conference in the criminal jail. Well, they done a conference and they brought me in to talk on it. And that was about reconciliation, no Northern Ireland. And I got the gospel in the middle of it. It was judges and, and barristers and it was every probation people. And, and 
I went, they asked me to speak at the front, I went, Lord, I think I'm missing here. And so I got in the gospel into the middle of a whole big ladder. And one of them actually seen it, wrote up right up about me, um, no, after not about the McGlory. He was sort of saying, He has this higher power. And I go, No, I have no higher power. I've got Jesus, so I have. And that was about reconciliation. I made a film there recently, or a while ago there, called Born and Reared. And that was about, um, sorry, the, 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 conference, the conference was about restoration. The film was about reconciliation. And I was saying that, so I got into the film and told my testimony in the film. There was four people in Northern Ireland. It was amazing. It went everywhere. It's all around Jerusalem, Germany. And they just took it as an art project thing. And then at the same sort of time, I've done a play in the Mac Theatre on redemption. So that's, a, that's, that's reconciliation, restoration, redemption. They're asking me to be part of. I can't even spell them words. Do you know what I mean? They're down here and I don't think they're right. Um, but I've done a radio interview with... Um, you want David Suchet, we poor the detective, the wee man, right? He interviewed me and he's a Christian. So he is, and he, he was leading me to, to get Jesus in because he was doing an interview with Muslims, Christians, and Jews. And, and he kept saying, you're taking me to the place. He said, oh, I'm taking you to the cross. I'm taking you to the cross. And it was amazing, so it was. And I'm not, I'm not glorifying me. I'm glorifying Christ in me. It's him that's doing everything. And I hope you see that. It's not me. I'm not famous. So I'm not, I'm not famous. I... I'm not famous at all. I, I'm just happy to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the worst sinners in the world. I asked, could I go into McGilligan and meet the worst offenders that nobody wants to get to? Because if I can't get to them, who's going to go? And I don't understand. I don't expect people to understand why I'd want to lead a murderer or a rapist or a sex offender to Christ. But if I don't, who will? And God forgive us if we don't share the gospel to whosoever, because that's what God says. But listen, I'm going to finish in these here six verses. Um, because um, the most important thing of my talk is this, is this here, um, and it's just six verses. Romans 3 and 23 says this, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God, not just Bobby Madison, not just me. I mean, all have sinned. You may, you've told a lie, you've took five minutes of your boss, you've looked at a man or a woman lost in your eyes, um, that's all sin, so you are a sinner. Um, Isaiah 59 says, your iniquity separate you from God. So it's because you've sinned in your life, you can't have that relationship with God because you can't stand sin. And so you need to get rid of it. Um, but the, Romans 5 and 8 says this, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So when you get to realize you're a sinner, it's good news. Gospel means good news because then you, need, you know you need to be saved. Um, and so that's, it might sound simple to Christians, but it doesn't, it's not simple to people who, who don't understand. Um, for John 3 and 16 17, my favorite verse is every, everywhere I go, I tell it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but ever, have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through his son the world may save. God didn't come to condemn anybody. Everybody is already condemned. 18 tells you that. But what he's doing is trying to save you now. And when you, get, when you recognize that you're a sinner, it's an amazing day because then you, you need to be saved. Um, John 14, 6 says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father but by me. Jesus said there's no other way to get saved other than through him. Um, and if you can tell me another way, tell me. Um, but Jesus took my sin on the cross and set me free and took my guilt and shame on the cross and set me free. That's why I'm free. Nothing else, nothing's changed. I might have to deal with victims and I'm walking into that. I don't hide. I speak on the platform. I'm sorry to everything, every person I've hurt, every victim I've dealt with. I'm sorry. And, and, but I can't go and wrap a door and say, look, to, to keep everybody right, can I tick a box about a victim? I believe in God's time and it'll be dealt with. And I, that's what I do. I go into the prisons and meet with different people and speak to them and, and I hope that 
that it, it happens one day. I've already happened one time about a possibility of meeting up with victims and, and I walk to the front of a door and says, Lord, if you open the door, I'll walk through it. Um, and so I'm, I'm willing to do that. And I've done interviews with TV and, and, and uh, newsletter and stuff and told them the same things. They say to me, would you be willing to meet victims? I've, I've said, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that's, that's my story. So I didn't hardly use any notes like, but um, I'll leave you this. The battle's in the mind. Um, it's about keeping yourself, be transformed and renewing the mind of talks. Um, my favourite verse, our family verse, is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You can't believe sometimes the stuff comes into your mind. Don't believe it. Don't believe that people in church don't like you or he's being funny with me. Just be asking them, are you funny with me? And then fix it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> fix it, right? Do you really think people come in to church to give you a dirty look? They don't. They may be struggling. But trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. I live that way every day because it doesn't look pretty. Every day I step out, it doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look good. And my mind does still get tormented back and forward. But I take every thought captive, bring it on the power of Christ, chuck it back out again, and I keep walking on and I keep praising the Lord. Thank you very much. And bless you.